0: And it was kind of that tough love environment that really, I think, is what inspired me to create diversability because I was like, we don't need an easy button for life. We need someone to believe in us, someone to push us to say, you have so much more potential than your external environment or social attitudes or whatever, or even yourself is giving you credit for. Like, go out and do what you want to do.
1: This is Get Shit Done a show about female entrepreneurs who are not willing to settle for 4% and the stories and steps they took to scale their companies to the top through traction by getting shit done and growing on their own terms. You good queen? No, seriously. Are you good? I wish I was asked this more often when I was building my last two companies, because quite frankly, I was doing a shit job of taking care of myself and carrying the weight of the world. Because as a young founder, but also I think this happens for people of any age, is that you want to feel like you have it together as an entrepreneur because it's your baby and you're constantly on eggshells. If you are not grounded And know how to balance taking care of yourself. And when I say, when I say balance, like what I really mean by that is you're not operating at one speed all of the time. Welcome back to Get Shit Done, the podcast, y'all. I'm your host, Alex Batdorf. And I'm the founder and CEO of Get Shit Done. We are the originators of the Fuck 4% movement, and we are helping female entrepreneurs develop the traction they need to scale their companies successfully on their own terms. I'm so excited to share this episode with you, with Tiffany Yu, the founder of Diversability, because when I was building my last two companies, and actually it really hit me when I resigned from my last company, how burnt out I was. And let me paint the picture for y'all. Before I resigned, I remember there was a couple different things that led me up to the, this decision, and we'll get to that in probably other episodes. Y'all, I will spill it sea. But for today, the feelings I had I will, ne- I will never forget, I had gone to my into my office. We had just got new headquarters and I had just had a full cup of coffee. That's when I was still drinking coffee. And as soon as I came in, it was right early in the morning and my energy just zapped out of my body. And then I was like, I need to go home. I felt sick. 30 minutes later, I literally felt fine. And now that I reflect on it, There was a sequence of things where I was not taking care of myself and listening to my gut. And what I love about Tiffany Yu is the fact that she talks about how taking care of herself and being vulnerable enough amongst her network and her peers and the people that can really help her has not only allowed her to be the best version of herself, but also to show up and be the best leader for her company. That's what we're going to get into today, y'all. It's all about self-care for female founders. And more importantly, the ability to be vulnerable and ask for help so you can receive it. Because, Queen, you cannot do this by yourself. This is not a one-person game. And it is so hard when we have been trained as women to be the nurturers. We need support too. P.S. In true startup fashion we were playing a little trial and error on the sound side y'all with some of these original episodes (laughs) now a girl has a real mic but there will be a little iffiness in some of the sound for some of these however it does not take away from the fact that there are nothing but gems being dropped throughout the entire episode that's gonna help you get shit done honey So, without further ado, the founder and CEO of DiverseAbility, an award-winning social enterprise to rebrand disability through the power of community, and a queen named one of the 100 most influential Asian Americans to watch, who's also been featured in Marie Claire, The Guardian, Forbes, Harvard Law, TEDx, World Economic Forum, I can go on, but we will be here forever, Miss Tiffany Yu. Tiffany, welcome to Get Shit Done. Thank you for having me. What, what is Diversability and why did you start it?
0: Sure. So Diversibility is an award-winning social enterprise to rebrand disability through the power of community. So what that means is we're looking to take a really isolating experience, having a disability that lived experience and rooted in community rooted in a sense of belonging, helping to build social capital within the community. And ultimately, what we're trying to do is we're trying to move away from pity, victim, shame narratives that often plague our community to ones that are more empowering, rooted in pride and identity. When I started it, I came up with a uh, I don't know if it's 0.0 or 1.0 version of it, about in 2009, uh, so almost 10 years ago, because I, uh, I had noticed that there is something in the diversity and inclusion space called the big eight aspects of social identity. These range from gender, nationality, socioeconomic status, disability ability, so, uh, sexual orientation, etc. cetera. And it was the first time I had ever seen a disability included as part of this big eight pie. And it was the first time I was like, oh, I acquired a disability as a result of a car accident when I was younger, but I had always thought of it as a diagnosis. I go to the doctor, I get treated, I want to get cured, I want to be more normal. Mm-hmm. But in the framework of this pie, it was like, oh, this is part of who you are. It's part of every single lived experience that you have, whether it's being a woman, et cetera. So, so I, have a, I have what's called a brachial plexus injury which is a really complicated name for uh, the series of nerves in the back of my neck that send signals from my brain to my arm. So I have a little bit of a funny hand as a result uh, As a result of the car accident.
1: Got it. How do you feel that, has your disability allowed you to be more vulnerable? Do you feel like it's helped you in becoming more vulnerable? I mean, obviously you started this platform and you have empathy towards, you know, people who have disabilities, but also that point of being vulnerable and how. I, th- I think it's super important. Do you feel like it has helped you in becoming vulnerable?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think for me, so in the first, in pretty much the, the first decade after the car accident, so the car accident happened in 97, I was nine years old at the time, very young, you know, wasn't really in touch with what was going on, and it, it was a trauma that I, of course, don't think that any child should have to go through. Uh, but in that first decade, when anyone asked me about my arm, or I would notice the stairs, I would get really uncomfortable, I would get really awkward, and I'd actually get really emotional, which is a form of being vulnerable. But I would send the signal to someone that that you shouldn't ask someone about their difference. And of course it's different for every person. And so what I realized was I was going around carrying the weight of this car accident, pitying myself, feeling victimized by my own story for a really long time. And I think when the change happened was like, I don't, was when I realized like, I don't want to go around carrying around this energy of feeling sad, feeling like a victim all the time. But what I can do is if I tell people more about how I live and what my experiences are, then we can start to have a conversation. And then even though the disability may be the first introduction to me, my funny arm, Then you want to get to know more parts of me, like what do I like to do for fun or here are my other interests outside of work or why don't you become friends with me and let's go grab a meal together. And so really for me, I think the vulnerability began with, okay, this is the part of my body that I feel the most uncomfortable with, but it is the first introduction to myself for most people. If I can get people to cross that barrier, then we can actually have much more meaningful conversations after that.
1: I found this I, one, I love Brene Brown, and I'm sure you've listened to a lot of her stuff. Um, but she had mentioned this quote I came across, that vulnerability here does not mean being weak or submissive. To the contrary, it implies the courage to be yourself. It means replacing professional distance and cool with uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. So that was in the context of leadership, and I find it interesting as founders... Um, how important it is for us to be vulnerable. As leaders, how important it is for us to be vulnerable. So how do you feel as a founder yourself, as a leader, you have employees. How are you practicing being vulnerable?
0: Mm, That is a great question. So I love that you mentioned Brene Brown because I remember when when we spoke a couple of months ago, you were like, okay, why don't you come up with a list of some some takeaways from this conversation? And for me, the turning point was actually really reading Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, which I think was her first of, you know, a couple of best-selling books. And after reading that book, it taught me, you know, what happens if I decide to lead my life with vulnerability? And so I think in the context of, of my company, you know, everyone or the majority of people that we employ are disabled and i think what's really interesting about having a disability is you know you kind of go do your work stuff but then you have an, an additional layer of life stuff that that we need to deal with as we all do um and i think by being open i mean there are a couple days where i will tell people on my team or even our community like hey i'm taking a self care day you know you may not hear from me um or i remember i'll often tell people you know hey you know, not feeling so great today, going to take some some time away. And what's really interesting is the response is, oh, you know, you got to do what you got to do, take care of yourself first, totally fine. And so what's been interesting is I find that we are always so nervous to tell people, you know, wherever we are in our lives, but the response has always been super receptive. Yeah. And so we're like afraid that there will be some kind of backlash. And unfortunately, in some cases, there may be, but uh, if you surround yourself with the right people and... The, and they make it, and you make it okay to not be okay sometimes, then then you are actually fostering a culture that can build off of people being able to bring their full selves to work.
1: And I, I remember I wrote this down the last time we talked because I thought it was amazing. You said success on paper is not as important than what's happening behind closed doors. Mm. We talk about when we fell and when we got up, but we don't talk about how we got up. And so that, what you said really resonated with me because it's just like, we don't talk about what's happening behind closed doors. And honestly, the warrior stories to me are far more insightful than the wins. So mm-hmm. how are you man- managing to balance that? You know, being able to really celebrate our wins, but also being able to speak up and say, hey guys, I'm struggling right now. And not only just getting help for yourself, but perhaps helping someone else in return. Yeah. So a, a couple of responses
0: to that. Number one is there's there's a saying or a quote that I really like that says, not overcoming, becoming. And I think oftentimes, especially in the disability space as well, we, we look at these, like you said, warrior stories. We're always talking about overcoming adversity, overcoming hardships, overcoming disability. But you don't really overcome any of those things, right? They're all part of your narrative of, of who you are. Uh, and and there's another there's a woman uh, who gave a TED talk, Amy Mullins, about embracing adversity and not overcoming it. Um, and I can I can send you the link afterward. But I think, but I think for me, you know, so much of the creation of diversibility has been me on my own personal journey of discovering my own story. And one of the things I often post about is, you know, you kind of hear the story of this nine-year-old girl who went through a really traumatic accident, but I'm still trying to figure things out and I still get triggered by things that happened over 20 years ago. And so I love I love perpetuating this message, at least through what I'm posting on social media and what I'm hoping to share throughout our community, that we're all a work in progress. You know, and so it's easy for me to uh, to show up to a place and people are like, "You are so incredible, your story is so great and I'm like, i'm still I'm still figuring stuff out. Yeah. And there's so many layers to my story that you know I like my head would explode if I had like figured it all out by this point. So the last thing I want to say is I actually took a quiz that helped uh, that helped me identify where my biggest areas of self-sabotage were. So when I took this quiz, my biggest areas were, Number one, what is called hyperachiever, and number two, what's called oh, yeah. pleaser. And what that. both of them mean is that my, my view of my own self-worth and my own self-acceptance are all conditional. They're all external. Yep. And so for me, by taking this quiz and by being more aware that, wow, these, like, these are the ways that I'm finding my self-worth. It it's allowed me to really kind of check myself and say, do I really need to post that win on social media and get all these vanity metric likes yep. rather than be like, okay, Tiffany, you are good. You are enough no matter where you are. You are worthy no matter where you are. And so that actually is probably one of my biggest work in progress areas right now is like, I just took this quiz. I had my mind blown. I'm like, whoa, like this is how I sabotage myself yep. is by saying, I need to go out and I need to achieve the next thing as, you know, it's one thing to be an overachiever, which is okay. Mm-hmm. But to be a hyperachiever means like I need, you know, I need that next, you know, you to tell me I'm great and that person to tell me I'm great. But I'm like, you know what, let me spend this time, maybe not share that and just celebrate that success for myself because that was enough.
1: So when we were talking, you mentioned something really interesting that I had never really considered before, but when we are looking to be vulnerable, especially as founders, we I, I tend to, at least I can speak for myself, I tend to internalize a lot of things, um, and I'm trying to get better now about reaching out. But you had mentioned you pick and choose sometimes who are the best people to reach out to, and you have mentioned about first and second degree, um, connections. And you were saying sometimes you are more comfortable having a conversation or being open and more vulnerable with second degree connections because there isn't that as much fear about being judged because they don't know you as well. So Mm -hmm. can you walk us through that and like how you navigate that? Sure. So for me, so anyway, the way
0: that I think about social media, and this is adopted from, um, from Kelly Hoey. Uh, who has written a book on networking, and, and she's really great. But she says social media is kind of like going to a cocktail party. And so on Twitter, you're having conversations with with people maybe you've never met them before. And Instagram, there are people who follow you there. And Facebook and LinkedIn may be a little bit more closed. I'm part of a Facebook group and a really great community called Dreamers and Doers. And and I know you just joined, which I'm super excited um, and anyway, it's a it's a community that is also built off of empathy and vulnerability among these really incredible trailblazing women. And um, I, I think the best way to do this is probably through a story. So about two and a half years ago, I quit my job in New York. I had won a scholarship to learn how to code in Amsterdam. And I'd never been to Europe before. And I'd been trying to side hustle, teach myself how to code on the side. So I was like, wow, the universe has just delivered this wonderful opportunity to me, I have to say yes. And when I first got to Amsterdam, I actually had a really hard time. And while everyone in my first degree network was like, Tiffany, I'm super excited for you. You must love Amsterdam. There are so many great things to do there. I hope you got a bike and are exploring all the cute little canals and everything. I was having a really hard time and it was hard to go back to kind of those first degree friends and be like, well, no, I actually feel really lonely. The boot camp is hard. I mean, there's a reason why you call it a boot camp, but everyone makes these coding boot camps look. No, I don't think anyone really shares how hard it is when you're in it, maybe afterward when you get a job. Um, and so I actually went to Dreamers and Doers and I said, Hey guys, I just quit my job in New York. I've moved my whole life out here to Amsterdam. I'm having a really hard time. And then there were three people a couple of people in the group who were like, Hey, if you ever make it out to Munich, like you can stay with me or like, Hey, I, I lived in Amsterdam for a couple years. Here are a couple of my friends that I want to put you in touch with. A couple of the members of Dreamers Indoors hopped onto Skype calls with me just to see how I was. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some, and sometimes, you know, I think for me it was because these people weren't so intertwined in my day to day, I could turn to them and say, things are really hard right now. And I, I need someone to talk to, but all of my friends, you know, in my first degree network, are just like
1: rah rah rah! You're, you're so like, great. You don't want to, <laughs> I literally, I literally posted about this today, where I mentioned that a, I just re-recognized this, like aware of it, like conscious about it. Is that a lot of my achievements up until so important, even today, are tied to not wanting to let anyone down, whether mm. it's my mom, my family, even though they're my biggest cheerleaders. But it's also, like, they have busted their asses for me. They have, you know, they have so much faith in me that it's, like, I cannot let that down. But it's also, like, there's only so much before, like, I'm going to implode because I'm not going to be perfect in everything. And they yeah. don't expect that of me, but I put that on myself. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But yeah, I was kind of just sharing, you know, like I, I, I've i always measured my life by like, okay, one year this, two years this, you know, then you go back to school and you do this and, and everything was in these like achievement milestones. And after I had reached this one year mark, I didn't feel like I had this achievement. And in a way I, I kind of like went into my own, you know, was ridden by anxiety of this place and was feeling feeling really depressed and I shared this on social media and just the response was so incredible you know and the thing is with Instagram it's both my first and second and third degree network but what I thought was really interesting was that you never know who's watching right and that can be somewhat terrifying but also reassuring at the same time so I got a lot of private message to say hey Tiffany I had no idea this was what, this was, what was going on thank you so much for sharing And then a lot of other and one person actually asked me if they could repost my post, which was really nice. But it was I mean, it was nice, but it was also like my own really personal, intimate story. But it was like, wow, this resonated so much with him that like he wanted to share it with his own network as well. Um, And so there's also this, like, network effect that happens, too, when you are vulnerable, right? When you lead with vulnerability, like, you never know who's going to be attracted to it. And your first degree may be like, whoa, like, we're not ready for this. But but they may be ready, you know? And And I think if we, as long as we're consistent, I think, and we're not, you know, I think there's, like, a little bit of shock value sometimes if, like, you're, you're portraying something as your personal brand and then all of a sudden like something really different happens. But I think I've been really consistent in sharing and leading with vulnerability since I read Daring Greatly.
1: Yes. <laughs> so there's no, there's no surprises of what you're going to expect from me. And so when we're leaders in our companies, in the world, something we d- did really well at my last company, um, Zipbit, is we were very... Good, in my opinion at being transparent and vulnerable enough with our employees about certain risk issues things we were going through however as the leaders there was a a certain amount of protection we did need to put around our employees because it's just like we don't want to debilitate them we mm. want, we're here to help you get as far in your career as much as you're here to help us grow our company And we want you to stay focused, but we also don't want to sidetrack you and keep you informed. So how do you, how do you teeter that? How do you balance in your company as a leader with your employees, the side of being vulnerable enough, but also not to the point where you're scaring them off?
0: Mm. That That's is a really, a really interesting question. question. I actually when you first worded it, I'd interpret it a little bit differently. And one of the things, oh, yeah. so I'll I'll answer how I interpreted it first, yeah. which is um, someone once asked me the question. So I started I started the first iteration of diversibility when I was in college. And and someone asked me, you know, what were like what was one or two things from your college experience that really shaped who you are? And for me, it was my internship in investment banking, because it was the first time that I wasn't given an easy button for life. And what I realized was that everyone around me, because of how funny my hand looked, or because I had this, you know, traumatic story, um, or because I was disabled, and, and maybe a lot of other things, were really, like, fragile tiptoeing around me, kind of giving, and, and I use this term, giving me an easy button for life. Oh, no, you don't have to do that. You can just sit on the side. You don't need to push yourself. Don't overexert yourself. And I was at working at the investment bank. They didn't care if <laughs> they didn't care if I had a disability or not. They were like, get your work done. We don't care. <laughs> um, and it was kind of that tough love environment that really, I think is what inspired me to create diversity because I was like, we don't need an easy button for life we need someone to believe in us, someone to push us to say, you have so much more potential than your external environment or social attitudes or whatever, or even yourself is giving you credit for like, go out and do what you want to do. And so I think what's really interesting for me and how I run my company is it's like part vulnerability, but it's also part tough love, you know? So
1: then what are you doing today to practice vulnerability in business? Like, what are, Can you walk us through like just steps that you are mindful of because this is, I mean, you do this, you know, in your own business. It's incredible. And you guys should definitely take out, check out Diversibility. We're going to put it in the, link, in the bio here. Um, but what are you, what steps are you taking or what tactics are you using? It might not be a regimen, but it's practical steps. Or-
0: Within our business, you know, one thing that we're trying to do is really incorporate mental health and mental health conditions into the content that we're pushing out into what we're sharing and into what we're talking about as well. So as an example, you know, I have a physical disability, but there is very much a mental health component to that. And so making people aware that, you know, it isn't just the one disability. Sometimes people can have multiple and they intersect with each other and and everything is, you know, all ultimately it's all one human. Um, I think that that's super important. So number one for me is I think just kind of continuing the the narrative and the brand that, that I've continued to build over the past couple of years, which is it's totally okay to be where you are, share where you are, and understand that we're all a work in progress and we're all still trying to figure it out no matter where we are.
1: Thank you so much for listening to Get Shit Done. We hope you got the traction tips you need to help you grow your business on your own terms. If you want more support scaling your company and a chance to connect with a curated community of like-minded founders focused on slaying traction goals together, head to the link in our show notes to check out our Accelerator and membership community. And if you enjoyed today's episode, show us some love by rating, reviewing, and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. I also love hearing from you, friend. So tag me on the gram at Get Shit Done Queen and tell me what you learned or what you want to learn more about. Until next time, Queen, I'm Alex Batdorf reminding you, you got this. Now go out there and get shit done.